praise the Lord. We thank the Lord for his goodness. We thank him for his mercy. We serve a wonderful, wonderful God. And I am just excited about that. It's just wonderful to think about how good God is. Um, really, all it takes is just uh, a little bit of time of just replaying memory lane, going down memory lane and thinking about the things that God does for you, has done for you. And um, you do that just it doesn't take a whole lot of time but you just when you start that process and sooner rather than later you come up with so many reasons to just glorify God because you realize that you're just tremendously blessed so we thank God for all his blessings that he bestows upon us because we know that we certainly do not um do not deserve it now we are back um in our uh um, study of the book of Psalms. Last week, I uh, made a bit of a mistake. Um, I uh, said that the lesson that we were doing was lesson um, um, lesson uh, five in the uh, mercy when we cry um, and um, um, series, um, God's mercy when we cry. And actually, um, that was lesson four. This today is indeed lesson five. So let's get into it. Psalms 27. Uh, we'll start at verse uh, number one, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh? They stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me he shall set me upon a rock and now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me Therefore, will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said, Unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Um, let me add verse number nine to that. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not my, thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me. O God of my salvation. Amen. May God have a blessing to the reading and the hearing uh, and the doing of his word. And we, we just we thank God. Um, we thank God for all the opportunities that he gives us now in the in the last lesson, uh, family, we actually um, did verse number seven 
of Psalms uh, 27, amen, which says, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me, amen, and answer me. Today, we're really going to get into verse number eight, um, which says, when thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Amen. And so we're continuing in this lesson of Psalm, this study of Psalms 27. It has been just a wonderful, wonderful lesson. And we're learning so much about God just in this. And I hope that what you're taking away is um, encouragement to not just blow through the scriptures. Don't just you know, move at lightning speed through the scriptures to just try to hurry up and get through it. It's okay to, um, uh, when we're reading the word of God, we want to constantly keep the word before us. And, and it's, um, and few better activities are out there than to have the activity um, or the, uh, on your itinerary to read through the Bible. Um, I, I hope and pray that many Christians, that all Christians really make it a point to read through the entirety of the scripture. Um, there are many different reading programs and things that are designed to help you read the Bible or read through the Bible um, or portions of the Bible um, in a given amount of time. And these things are good and wonderful, um, especially if you're developing the practice, the very good practice and habit of reading the word of God. It's good to keep that before you. But if you're not careful, this can kind of become ritualistic and um, you start to just go through the scripture for the sake of getting through the assigned reading. And you don't want to do that. Don't listen. There, there's a time and a place to just to, to perhaps to do that. But, but, but the word of God teaches us that in all of your getting, all of our getting to get an understanding, okay? Um, God wants you to know his word and, and family, you can't know God's word by just going through and reading the word. It doesn't work that way. You got to spend some time. Amen. You got to spend some time actually thinking about the word, studying the word, pondering over the word, praying the word, talking to God. And you, you've got to do those things. There's no substitute for that. So I want to encourage you to not blow through the scriptures, but take your time through the scriptures as you go there. David, we said he did something interesting in verse number seven. Amen. And again, for your reading, um, verse number seven says, hear, O Lord, when I cry, um, this is from the English Standard Version now. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Amen. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Amen. That's from the English Standard uh, Version. Um, of that, um, of our, uh, of our text. And the King James version says, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. We said that the first thing that David did was that he requested that the Lord hear him. And we did a whole deep dive, uh, on, uh, last, uh, with the last lesson that we did uh, in this series. And we really got into what that meant. 
Amen. We learned that when he said here that that word here meant to 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 heed. Okay, it meant to listen. Okay, or to hear or to pay close attention, um, and to respond in conformity. So it wasn't just that he was asking God to listen or asking God to hear him, but he wanted God to listen and he wanted God to hear him um, with the intent or God of him or, um, or having the intent that upon listening that he was going to answer. And we learned about that. We, David used the word, he said, um, you know, he said, Lord, he said, have mercy on, he said, hear, O Lord, when I cry. We looked at that word cry, okay? And we learned that that word meant to call out or to utter a characteristic uh, note to cry. So we, were, we, we, we learned out, we learned that it, it's, it's, it's an utterance, okay? Um, he, we also looked at the word um, um, voice, which really means um, speech or something spoken, under, you know, something that is spoken, um, and uh, something that is understood according to the voice. So what, in, when we tie all this together, what it actually meant was, was David was saying, God, I need you to hear. I need you to listen to me, but I need you to kind of already make up your mind, God, that as you're listening to me, you're going to answer me. I want you to kind of, that's what I want you to do, God. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to say, but I kind of want you to kind of stack the deck a bit here because I want you to listen, but kind of already have your mind pre-made up that you are going to respond. So I want you to, to, to listen with that intent that you're going to respond. I know you haven't heard what I am going to ask you. You don't, uh, you haven't heard what I'm about to say, um, although you already know, but I want you to, to I, I want when you hear it, when you listen to it, oh God, I want you to do that with the intent that you're going to respond. And he says, I'm going to cry. I want you to do this when I, when I cry out with my voice. So when I make a sound, I want you to listen when I, when, when I open my mouth and I begin to disclose and to bring out what, what's on my heart or what's on my mind, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going, I'm going to cry out with a note or an utter, utter, utterance that is characteristic to what's going on. So I'm going to talk to you, God. I'm going to tell you something. And what I'm going to tell you, or what I'm going to ask you, rather, I'm going to ask you something. But I'm and I'm going to ask you something that is related to what I'm going through. That's what that cry is really because it's a characteristic. No, in other words, it's an appropriate cry to appropriate what appropriate to the situation. We gave an analogy. So if you were sinking in the ocean, you you what you would need to do is cry help. You need somebody to throw you a line or some sort of a life uh, saver, something to that to that to that effect. You, if you, but if you were in that situation and you were in the ocean and, and you had been cast overboard, it would be inappropriate or uncharacteristic or literally ridiculous to cry out what, you know, throw, you know, throw me this radio, uh, um, give me, uh, what, you know, what time is it? Um, you know, um, what, are, what are we going to have for dinner? That, that wouldn't, you, if you're in a dangerous, you're in a, you're in a bad way, right? You're in a, in a terrible situation. And so the cry for that situation would need to be appropriate to that situation, okay? If I'm in danger, 
That's not the time for me to cry out stuff as if I'm not. No, 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 no. Uh, my cry or my request is going to be characteristic, all right? I'm going to ask for what I need, not something that has nothing to do with what I'm going in or what I'm going through or dealing with. And then that word voice, when we tie all that in together, that meant something spoken, understood, uh, or you know, something that is spoken or something that is voiced. And what we learned is when you take all this together, okay, hear, cry, and voice, all of those things in verse number seven, all right, then what? David was actually saying is, is, is God, I'm getting ready to tell you something. And before I tell you, I need you to already, I'm requesting that you in advance, predetermine, predecide that you're going to answer me according to what I ask you, because I'm going to cry out something that is appropriate, that is net, that is uh, related to the situation that I'm in. I'm getting ready to be truthful, God. I'm getting ready to tell you what's really going on. I'm not going to try to hide anything. I'm not going to use smoke and mirrors. I'm not going to try to obscure anything. I'm getting ready to cry out according to my situation, all right? And I need you to pre-decide that before you even hear what I'm going to say, that you are going to answer me according to what I say. So what my need is, you're going to answer me with something appropriate to my need. I'm going to use my voice, but my voice is going to, I just need you to know this, God, that I'm going to cry out and I need that answer. But there is a chance that it's going to come out wrong. And there's a chance that I might not even be able to get it all the way out. Because we learned that that word voice, it's not just the words it can be the it can be whatever it is that you can get out that can be understood now for someone else a, perhaps a moan and a groan or whatever is not really uh discernible a person doesn't really know what that may mean unless there are some words that go behind it but god is not like man okay moans and groans and grunts grunts and 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 sounds and when you don't have the words God reads the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the sounds that we make when we don't have words to describe what we're going through, those things are understandable by God. So all of that qualifies. And he's saying, God, when you hear me, whether I can say it or whether I don't have words to say it, I need you to answer me. And so we learned all of this. We talked about all of those different things because we said that David was saying, Yahweh, when I cry out or when I direct my, my voice to you, regardless of how it comes out, because it, it just might not come out the way that, that it should. I might not have words to really express or really say what I'm trying to say. Maybe all I have is just a sigh and that's it. That's all I can do but I'm directing it towards you. And David will say, however it comes out, I need you to hear what I'm trying to say and I need you to respond accordingly. I need you to hear it and I need you to respond. We learned that Romans uh, 8 and 26 tells us, shows us that we don't always know what to pray. This is true. Romans 8, 26 says, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. 
for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. So we don't always know what to pray, but we do know that although we don't know, always know what to pray. As I said a moment ago, God knows the heart. Amen. First Samuel six through seven tells us, and it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Elab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Now, I told you, Saul is king at this time, but Saul is about to be replaced. And so God is anointing God is sending Samuel to anoint the new king who would be David. David. Samuel goes to Jesse because David is one of Jesse's sons, but Samuel doesn't know it's David at this point. He just knows that the king is going to come out of the household of Jesse. So he goes and he meets with Jesse and he asks Jesse to bring all of his sons before him. And he did with the exception of David, because David was, was, was taking care of the flock at the time, but they all came before him. And, and the first one that, um, that, and the one that, that, um, that Samuel set upon and assumed was the king that God sent him there to anoint or the person that God sent him to anoint as king, he assumed that it was Elab. Out of the brothers of, da of David, he assumed that it was supposed to be Elab. Why? Because he was looking at his continents and he was looking at how tall he was. Now, why did he do that? Because these were the things that Samuel noticed when Saul was selected. So Samuel approached the selection of the new king the same way he approached the selection of the previous king and god was saying tell, telling him that don't look on his countenance that means how he looks on the outside and don't look at the height of his stature that's how tall he is he, he had to he had to stop samuel in the track because they don't even do that why because those things are not going to give you the information they're not going to reveal to you who it is or who God's choice is. I don't see things the way you see it, the way man sees it. You looking at the outside, but I'm looking at something else. Amen. God knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Psalms 44, 21 says, shall not God search this out for he knoweth and searches and he, for he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Look at Acts 15 and eight. And God, which knoweth, the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. The A portion that says, and God, which knoweth the hearts. God knows the heart. We don't know always what to pray for. But that's not a deal breaker when it comes to God. And somebody who will listen to this, no matter where you listen to this, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what time of day you listen to it, no matter what language you are, I pray somebody will translate it for you. Your inability is not a deal breaker when it comes to God. 
your shortcomings. Don't stop God from hearing. Amen. If we want God to hear and respond, we must be separated from the world. Now, God is not stopped by our ability to speak clearly or speak at all. God can understand why, because he's reading the heart. But there are some things that we can do that can impede God hearing us. And one of the things that can impede it or get in the way of that is when we have this indulgence in the world. Psalms 4, 3 through 5 says this, but know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear, listen to it, the Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Selah means to think about it. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. If you want God to hear you, and this is what that essentially is telling us, you got to be separated from the world. Notice what he says. But now that the Lord, but know, excuse me, that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. He says, those that are godly, notice what's happening. He says, God has set them apart. That is sanctification, okay? That's being separated from the world or the things of the world and being dedicated unto God and the things of God. So he says, but know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. Okay, that godly person has been set apart. It's got to be separate. It's got to be separated from everything else. And then notice what happens. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. So the psalm writer here is telling us that the, that the righteous person, the godly person is separated from the world and he is separated unto God. He's, he's, he's separated from the world and he is dedicated to God. So in other words, sanctified or sanctification. That's what the writer's saying, that the godly person is sanctified. He's been separated. She's been separated. And then he says, there's a promise with that. He says, the Lord will hear when I call him. In other words, the person who has separated or who has been separated from the world, that person can count on and can rely on the fact and the truth that God will hear him. So those are some things that you need to know, okay? We don't always know what to pray. But even though we don't know what to pray all the time, it doesn't stop God from hearing or being able to hear what it is that's on our heart. Or what we're really trying to communicate, especially when our words don't necessarily convey that across. Amen. Okay. And then in addition to that, in addition to that, although we may not always know what to say, because God can hear us regardless, 
it's all the more important that we be sanctified, that we be in a position that make us eligible for God to hear us. So we've got to be separated from the world. That's what all that means. And we talked about all of that. We said that David also did something very interesting is that he asked he, that, that, that David, David's request had another interesting component in it. We saw that David requests of God that before he responds, that he have mercy on him first. Amen. Amen. Hopefully you, you, you caught that um, um, in our text. Amen. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. He didn't say, answer me and have, per have mercy on me in this case. That's not what he said. He said, have mercy upon me and answer me. So he asked for mercy before he asked that God apply mercy before he applied the answer. Amen. And that is very significant. David wanted his cry to God to be seen and heard through the filter or the lens of mercy. Amen. Amen. David wanted to be heard. He wanted to be answered, but he knew that he needed mercy first. And I hope you know that today. And this is, and this is really good to know that, um, really that, that, that God really has it set up um, just like this and that it goes just like this. This, is, this is, a, is a wonderful thing to know. David wanted to be heard. He wanted an answer. Just like you want God to hear you. You want God to answer you. But I submit to you that just like with David, before God responds, before God answers, you're going to need some mercy first. God's mercy is him giving us what we don't deserve, his goodness his second chances, all of those things, even though we don't deserve it. I don't know about you, but I know certainly I don't deserve it. Yet God affords mercy. Matter of fact, the word teaches us he's rich in mercy. Other scriptures tell us that his mercy endureth forever. Amen. Mercy, family, you are never more close in modeling the image of God, in demonstrating the character of God. We're moving forward here. You and I are never more close we are never more a closer representation or a accurate representation of God Almighty himself, whom we are called to be representative and, uh, of. We never more accurately model that and represent that than when you and I operate in mercy. Amen. 
Because the word teaches us that it is by the mercies of God that we are not consumed. That means that we have every right to be consumed by the consequences of our sin because sin always carries consequences. Sin family is always going to be an open tab that has to be paid for. Oh, you get to just keep going on and on and on and on, but you're racking up debt. The more you sin, the more you operate in unrighteousness and filthiness and perversion and all of these different things. The more you operate in, in the little sins, the things that you don't think are that big of a deal, yet they are a deal to God. He doesn't see any distinction in any of that. Sin is sin. And though we label it as this, that, and the other, and our God Almighty sees it all the same, eventually that bill's going to come due. It's like being in a hotel and you, you, and, and you just keep ordering room service. You just keep ordering all of the amenities and all of the different things. And you just having a grand old time, just ordering, ordering, and ordering, and ordering. But you know what's going to happen before you leave that hotel. Maybe you've gone on a trip somewhere or whatnot. Well, before you leave that hotel, and they're going to let you order. Oh, they're going to let you order all to your heart's content. That you keep no, Nobody's going to say nothing either. Nobody's going to stop you. They're going to let you keep ordering everything they have to offer as many times as you want. But when it's time to check out, there's going to be a little matter of squaring up that bill. All of the debt, everything that you racked up, all the charges going to have to be settled before you leave that place. Sin operates the same way. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Amen. 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 We love to focus on the gift of God as eternal life through Christ Jesus, and that is good. But it doesn't change the fact that the wages of sin is still death. Amen. And if you rack up that charge, those charges of sin, you keep doing, you understand. If you don't get that, 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 that debt's got to be paid for. And you're not going to get out of it. Now you got two choices. You can either pay it yourself. And the price is more than you can afford. Or you can accept the one who's already paid it on your behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what he did when he went to Calvary. What was he doing? Paying for the debt that you racked up. Somebody was going to get stuck with the bill. But he loved you so much that he didn't want you to get stuck with it. Didn't want me to get stuck with it. So he took the charges and he settled the debt. He laid down his life on Calvary 
for the sins of humanity. We were not worthy. We didn't deserve it. But he loved us in spite of us. So he did it anyway. And now he offers that salvation to whosoever will. All you got to do is reach out and take it. How do you do that? Very plain, very simple. The book of Acts chapter 2 tells us very plain. Just start reading verse 36 and keep on going. But for whoever will hear it, let me bottom line it for you. You got to repent of your sin. You got to change your mind about the way you're living and the way that you're going. You know it's wrong and it's time to stop playing games and trying to pretend that it's not. Your lifestyle is not acceptable to God. And it doesn't matter how good you think that you are or how many people have told you how great you are. You're not that good and you are certainly not that great. You're not good enough to avoid the sin charges on your own. You're not great enough to circumvent the sin charges on your own. You're going to have to square it up. And because you are going to be unable to cover it, you are going to end up in hell. Because that's where all those who cannot cover the sin charges go. They go to hell. Not some purgatory, not some place where you can, you listen, when you get there, you're not working off, you, ain't no work release program. You're not going to work off your debt. You're not going to be able to have lived this life that God gave you here on this side any way that you wanted to, disrespecting him and never owning up to the responsibilities that he's assigned to you, never living for him. Then when you die and end up in hell, then all of a sudden you're going to, you, 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 you don't, you don't had a party on this side. So you just going to work it off real quick and then get back to, no, it ain't going to work that way. You're going to churn, burn and yearn for release and it ain't going to come never. Yet it is not God's will that this be your end, that this be your ruin. But if you keep walking in sin, pretending that you can do what this world does and you can do the things that God plainly says not to do and the things that you know are not right, but you think that you have a loophole because the word didn't verbatim spell out this thing that you were doing right. Uh -uh, it's all concluded under sin. And all the while you're playing games, you need to understand the chip that you're gambling with is your own life. You are the one at stake. And your soul is too valuable to be playing games with. You got to repent of your sins. You got to be sorry for what you've done. You can't be secretly okay with doing the wrong thing. No, you got to turn your heart towards the things of God. That means the way God feels, if God is not good with it, I'm not good with it. I'm not okay with it. 
It's not being conformed to this world, but it's being transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Christ Jesus, you, you, you got to unplug from this world and you got to turn to God. Then you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Just do it the way the Bible says. Don't add anything to it. Don't go get all off into in the name of the Father and of the Son. Of the Holy Ghost. No, no, no one was ever baptized that way in the Bible. They were all simply baptized in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's it. There was only those two. Those are the only two ways that it was done. Don't go let somebody just sprinkle you. And, no, 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 no. You can't go sprinkling a baby. That ain't in the word. That don't mean nothing. Baptism is by full body immersion. You got to be dunked under the water. That's the symbol. Fully submerged under the water is the symbol. What does it symbolize? It symbolizes the grave. You coming out of the water symbolizes the resurrection. Jesus died on that cross, meaning that that body that he prepared as the sacrifice, it, it died. It passed away. It was sacrificed. But because he's God almighty, guess what he did? Three days later, he rose it back up. He raised it back up. This is what the word teaches. And so, too, the symbol of baptism represents these things. Death, burial, and resurrection. Repentance represents the death. That's the dying part. Because in repentance, you die to those things. You turn away from the sin. So repentance, the element of repentance in the salvation process represents the dying. Being submerged under the water represents the burying. Being brought out of the water represents the resurrection. Do you see that? Those, that, that's what those symbols mean. And then when we use the Lord Jesus Christ, well, number one, there's no other name given among men whereby we can be saved. So it's the only authorized name. Don't take the attitude of, well, you know what? I was baptized this way. You know, Father, Son, God knows. He know what I mean. Listen, why are you going to stop at what you <laughs> that when you have the ability to do things exactly the way he said? 
God doesn't bless willful disobedience. And the book of Acts is very plain that those who were baptized, if they were not baptized correctly, you know what they did? They got rebaptized. That's in the book of Acts. So don't stop and say, oh, well, you know what? It don't matter. I'm not, I don't think it's that serious. Yes, it do. Just do what the word says. If, if he said it and you got the ability to do it, do it. No one cares about your theories. Nobody cares about what, it, what you coming up with. God didn't ask you for none of that. He asked you to simply do what he said do. No one is concerned about what you learn in seminary. Many of them don't know anything anyway. And absolutely none of them are God. Man's wisdom is foolishness. Even his so-called wisdom of God. Talking about the stuff that man come up with. Man's so-called self-made wisdom of God is foolishness. Do what the Bible says. Don't overthink it. He is not asking you, listen, God, he's not asking you for your input. He's asking you for your obedience. He's not asking you for your ingenuity. He's asking you for your obedience. He's not asking you for your theory and he's not asking you for your your opinion. He's just asking for your obedience. Do what he said. You gotta be baptized in the name of Jesus. You want that mercy of God? Walk in his ways. And you will continuously walk in the mercy. Now, he's already operated in a a, a degree of mercy for you. That he's made salvation available. That's mercy. But you need that mercy to continue. You need that mercy when you're crying out. You need that mercy every time you're praying. That's what David did. You needed mercy. Why did he need mercy? Because, again, Romans 8.26 tells us that we don't always know what to pray for. And if by default, we don't always know what to pray for, then beloved of God, that by default means that when we come to God, we simply don't always know what to say. Because when we talk about praying, we're talking about communicating with God. And if Romans 8 and 26 tells us that we don't know what to pray, then in essence, he's telling us, the apostle is telling us that when we pray, we don't know what to say. This is heavy because it covers all forms of prayer from supplication. That's where I'm asking and I'm praying and I'm requesting things for myself. I'm asking God, I'm I'm praying and and I'm presenting myself before the Lord and I'm asking him to help me. I'm asking him to bless me. I'm asking him to empower. It doesn't matter what it is, but I'm asking him and it's surrounding. It's it's a personal, my personal request that impacts me. 
my supplication, my personal request to God. The apostle says, you don't know what to say. So that means that when I'm at my in my personal request, he says, I don't always know what I should be asking of God. I think I need this. I think I need that. But the apostle is saying, you don't know. You don't know what you should pray as you should. That's supplication. That's also the same as intercession or the same for intercession. Intercession is when I'm praying for somebody else. I'm standing in the gap for somebody else. I'm literally interceding on their behalf before God. And yet Romans 8 and 26 even covers that. For we know not what we should pray as we ought. So from supplication to intercession, I got a problem. You have a problem. What is the problem? The problem is, is that in both of these types of prayer and any other type of prayer, we don't always know what to pray for. When I'm praying for someone and I'm interceding, unless I'm being led by the Spirit, and here's the bottom line, most times when you pray, you're not being led by the Spirit. You're praying because you have the right to pray. You've been granted permission to pray, but you are not always praying in alignment with the Spirit. I am not always praying in alignment with the Spirit. Most times I would submit, we come to God simply because we have the right to come to God and we come to him with whatever it is that we have. We don't always take thought as to whether or not what we have is acceptable or is in line with what he wants. And so the, so the, the apostle discloses this truth to us in Romans 8 and 26 by telling us that we know not what we should pray for as we are. That means you're not praying for the right thing as you should, as I should. Even in the, yes, even in the area of intercession where I'm, I'm not even praying for myself. I, you, you might say, well, you know, what, Brother Walker, I get that I don't, I might not know what I need for myself, but, I, but this person over here is in such, such, and they need this, that, and the other, and I'm going to, you, even them. That's the depth of Romans 8 and 26. It covers all forms of prayer, family. Even when you see it, you don't, listen, because you are, you, you, you don't know everything. You're not God. You don't have his vantage point. You don't have his, his omniscience. You don't know everything. And because of that, it means That even when you think that you know what a person needs, you don't actually necessarily know it or know it all. And so you need mercy. David asked for that God, but that before he answered, 
that he would have mercy. He said, have mercy upon me and answer me. He asked for mercy before he gets the answer. See, this universal shortcoming of God's people, we said, you know, it puts us in a, it, I mean, we, we end up in, a, in, in quite the predicament. Luke 18 and 1 tells us we should always pray. Philippians 4 and 6 tells us we should pray with thanksgiving and without worry. Yet those don't erase the fact that we don't know what to pray for. But we're commanded to pray and we're commanded to pray often. And we're commanded to pray with praise and thanksgiving. Well, how can I pray with, 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 with thanksgiving and without worry if, I'm, if, if, if the writer's telling me that I don't even know what to say? How can I do that? How, when I pray, how can I come with joy and thanksgiving in my prayer? Amen. When I know for a fact, according to the word, that I don't know what I should be praying for. And that covers both from supplication to intercession. How can I come with that? And if you add to the fact that not only that, not only do I not know, but I got another, not know what to pray for, but I got another problem. According to Isaiah 59 and 12 and Jeremiah 14 and 7, my sins testify against me. In other words, not only do I not know what to pray for, not only do you not know what to pray for, but my sinful nature and your sinful nature are there blaringly giving God all of the reasons not to even consider or listen to me. So how can I actually, in the midst of praying, in spite of not knowing what to pray for, how can I be happy about it? How can I have this Thanksgiving? And how can I not be worried about it? Because in spite of it all, in spite of this catch-22 predicament that we're in, this, this quite the pickle of a situation that we're in, God's ability is not stifled or somehow prohibited by our inability. We can pray with thanksgiving and without worry. And we can do it always. That means we're praying frequently. And we can do it in spite of not knowing what to pray for. And we can do it in spite of having our sins testifying against us, giving God all the reasons to not even listen to us or not even answer our prayer. We can, we can pray. with thanksgiving and without worry, and we can pray always. Why? Because Hebrews 4 and 16 tells us. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. And I told you, mercy is God giving us what we don't deserve. This is why David was asking for it. And this is why I say you and I need it. Especially when we pray. Because number one, we don't know what to say. 
And number two, we got our sins. <laughs> we got a track record. What's what I mean when I'm talking about our sin? We got a we got we <laughs> we got a track record. That gives God all the roof and the justification. He would all of the gives God all of the 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 justification. that he would ever need to not do nothing for us. He's totally justified because our sins testify against us. According to Isaiah 59 and 12 and Jeremiah 14 and seven. But yet God has predetermined to give you mercy ahead of time. In verse eight, he says, when thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I see. David declares in verse eight, the grounds upon which his request is based. That's what you're looking at. He's declaring the grounds, what he's basing all this on. See, verse eight shows us the basis of his request. Amen. This is good stuff. Don't miss it. Because in verse eight, we literally see why David feels he has grounds to even ask of God. That's what we see. Remember, verse eight says this, when thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I see. Now, why is this significant? Verse eight shows us, showing us the grounds of, of, upon which David builds his request. Why does he feel like he can come to God like this? Why can he ask God what he asked for like this? It's significant because this Old Testament scripture predates what we see in Hebrews 4 and 16, which tells us to come boldly. So in Hebrews 4 and 16, God tells us we can come boldly before the throne of grace. But David is before that. David is on the scene before Hebrews gets on the scene. Psalms is on the scene well before the book of Hebrews comes into play. And it's not until Hebrews that we learn that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. This is significant, family, because what it's telling us is, is this. It's telling us that the ability or the permission or uh, the right, if you will, to come before the Lord boldly. That right and that privilege predates the formal ratification of the privilege given to us by God in Hebrews. When we say ratification, what we simply mean is, is that something being formally put into effect. So because David it's on the scene before Hebrews, before we learn that we can become, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace formally, before we formally learn that, informally we learn it through David. We learn it ahead of time through David. The permission, the ability, the right and the privilege to come before God boldly. 
that privilege was given to us or made available to the saints of God before it was officially or formally declared or ratified, if you will, in the book of Hebrews. So the question is, how can that be? And it's a very simple word. It's called obedience. Amen. Look at the scripture. When thou saidest, so that's God, seek my face. So God declares, David is saying, God, you said, you gave me a commandment. You gave me instruction. You said, seek my face. Amen. So watch this. David is acknowledging that he received a command from God. Okay. My heart said unto thee. So I responded when that's what that's telling you. Thy face, Lord, will I see. So altogether, David is saying, you gave me a commandment. And when I received that commandment, I responded according to what I was commanded. Thou said, seek my face. My heart said unto thee, thy face will I seek. I submitted in obedience to what you commanded. David is in essence saying, I am asking this. Remember verse number seven. Amen. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. Verse 8 is telling you why he could do that. Why can he ask that of God? David is saying, I have a right to ask. I feel empowered to ask. I feel like it's okay to ask. Why? Because when you gave me a commandment, you said, seek my face. My heart responded with obedience. God desires obedience above anything and everything else we do. First Samuel 15, 22. Samuel said, have the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Look at Proverbs 21 and 3. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord 
than sacrifice. Obedience, we're going to wrap this up, to God enables the power and authority of God in the believer's life. Obedience to God enables power and authority in the believer's life. When you are obedient, it confers power. It confers authority. It grants rights and privileges that you can take advantage of, that you are free to use and operate in. Because in operating in obedience to God, you please him. Second Corinthians 10. Verses three through six says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ bringing everything into obedience of Christ. Now watch what happens as a result of that. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience. When your obedience is fulfilled. Having in a readiness because I bring my thoughts and my mind, my heart into obedience to Jesus Christ, who is God Almighty. Then it puts me in a state of readiness or ability, if you will. I'm able to do what? to revenge all disobedience. In other words, I'm ready, I'm eligible, I'm enabled to overcome unrighteousness, which is disobedience. In all its forms, I'm, over, I'm able to overcome all of it. When my own obedience is present and accounted for. And I'll say it again, obedience to God enables power and authority in the believer's life. Amen. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about 
uh, this obedience. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we explore um, verses, uh, verse eight in Psalms 27, because this is just really, really, really good stuff. We'll get back into that and we'll pick up this theme, this thread um, of talking about this obedience and the power that it confers and what that means, because we're exploring how, how David is literally coming to the Lord boldly and in a way that predates that formal declaration that we could do so. So how was it in the Old Testament that David figured this out, that David could come and do what we have been told we could do in the, in the New Testament? How was, able to, how, how, was, how was David able to do this in the Old Testament? And we're learning that the reason he could do that was because of obedience. So in essence, the truth or the reality that coming that that we are able to come before the Lord boldly with our with our requests and our petitions and all of these different things, it literally predates the New Testament. We have always had this ability, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. God bless you. You have a wonderful Sunday, and we're looking forward to next week. And we're really going to get some more just good, godly information that you can live off on off of, and you can share with people. God bless you. Until next time.